2: It's
0: January 10th, 1971. And another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors.
2: It was originally by the Harold Wilson government as the University of the Air. But when it finally welcomed its first cohort of students today in history in 1971, it had been rebranded rather less grandly as the Open University. But this radical proposition, the ability to obtain a real, recognised university degree without setting foot on campus, had had to battle through years of opposition.
0: The Open University's aim was to use distance learning to primarily help non-traditional students like housewives and school teachers get a tertiary education Education in the first place. There were an estimated 10,000 applications at the end of its first week after it was announced and more than 100,000 when it eventually
1: closed applications for the first year. Yes, this really was the birth of remote mm-hmm. learning and it happened in England. Things were sent out via post-correspondence texts was what they called the 30- to 50-page weekly booklets, which you'd read in conjunction with the televised lectures, which is how you would attend your lessons. There were two issues with that. Uh, One was that they launched... in this year of 1971, just ahead of a postal strike, (laughs) so it was hard to get this correspondence out to people, and the other was, although it sounds very innovative, let's do it via TV, let's do it via radio, it's kind of proto-Ted talk, right? The problem was, this is before VCRs existed, Mm. there was no option to record, and Mm. the BBC didn't want to broadcast open university lectures during peak times when people were watching, so you had to be up at like four in the morning to watch a maths lecture.
2: (laughs) the remote learning model was based on something that did already exist and that many ambitious and intelligent people who weren't privileged enough to access university had relied on for generations and that was correspondence courses as well as night school that was another thing that was you know very commonly done but the thing is is that that was considered a decent enough way to get a qualification in say bookkeeping or Mm. shorthand but the idea that you could get a university degree that way was something that was difficult for a lot of people to accept and that a lot of people felt like would cheapen the university experience which is worth saying at this point was only available to fewer than 10% of school leavers.
0: Yeah, and combine this with the fact that educational reformers had a really long history of over-promising and then massively under-delivering when it came to new educational technology. You know, as far back as 1922, for example, Thomas Edison declared that the motion picture is destined to revolutionise our educational system. So it's not surprising that when the Open University came about, there was just almost hostility from many commentators, both inside and outside of Britain's traditionally class-bound universities. For example, Ian MacLeod, the shadow chancellor of the Exchequer, called the idea blithering nonsense.
1: Yes, and that was the same inside and outside the Labour Party as mm. well. I mean, you alluded, Rebecca, in your intro to this being the conception of the Labour government, but it wasn't really. It was actually the sole brainchild of Harold Wilson before he was prime minister who had this concept of the university of the air when he was on the silly Isles, on holiday, and he just jotted all down quickly on a piece of paper. And then, in 1963, gave his maiden speech at the Labour Party conference in Scarborough as leader and just stuck it in there. <laughs> this is the white heat of scientific revolution speech, which Politico still talk about now, forging a new Britain through a Labour government, etc. But in that speech says oh, and we're going to do this University of the Air thing so everyone can learn stuff. Anyway, and he never discussed it. He never discussed it with his shadow cabinet. And when he became prime minister, empowered uh, a woman called Jenny Lee to basically go ahead and do this with minimal uh, recourse to the Treasury.
2: Yeah, she was the Minister of the Arts in his cabinet at that time. And she was instrumental in pushing the project forward. You know, it was Harold Wilson's passion project, if you like, but it it required so much constant effort that it was something a prime minister couldn't personally have undertaken with all their other responsibilities. Um, Jenny Lee got stuck into it. She herself was from a working class mining community and her University of Edinburgh education was owed to a scholarship. So she was very much personally invested. She was very cool. She was elected as MP for North Lanarkshire in 1929. At the age of 24 Mm. which made her not only the youngest woman to sit in Parliament at the time and for a long time afterwards but also it was remarkable because women under 30 had only got the vote the previous year. She was part of that first cohort to vote and she was elected to Parliament from the back of it. And when the first Open University degree ceremony was held at Alexandra Palace in 1973 it was broadcast live on BBC2 Lee was among that first batch of honorary degrees in recognition not only of the work that she'd put into the organisation and the driving forward of the project but also in recognition of the fact that there had been so much opposition, even within the Labour Party.
0: It's funny that, you know, in 1969, you only had 5% of Britons getting any sort of higher education, and more than half of UK employees just having no qualifications at all. So the Open University itself was this hugely innovative idea, not least because it had no entry requirements, and it welcomed part-time and mature students. So you didn't have to be someone who had wealthy parents, who did really well at school and got into one of the old and rarefied universities that the country was and still is very, very good at. This was a totally different idea. And by the end of the 1980s, 100,000 people had graduated from it. And some of those people have gone on to be famous in the field that they studied, because of the open university it's amazing
1: and some have gone on to be famous in things that they didn't start yeah, so holly willoughby uh, in psychotherapy uh, lenny henry in english literature mylene class in astrophysics and jerry hall in humanities <laughs> which i think speaks to you know the other facet of the open university which is if you look at the courses they offered even on this day in 1971 there were four courses mathematics understanding society humanities and science Yes, they're all building blocks if you come out with a degree to go on and do something else. But they're not bookkeeping, are they? Mm. They're not things that guarantee you a job. They are degrees that you study, and it was only BAs that were available initially. They're degrees that you study because you've always been interested in furthering your own capacity. That you know, They're for people that are self-starting, feel they missed out, and are really committed and dedicated. But actually, when they come out of it... Yes, they've got a degree, but it's a it's a base de- foundation degree. You then need to do more to get something out of it.
2: Yeah, and I think it comes down to the fact that the whole ethos of the open university was about flexibility so that's flexibility in the curriculum as well yeah, it's not as tightly bound as a traditional university it's a bit more like the american system you know even mm. today students can kind of pick and choose modules from within these broad study areas yeah, you've to than... do
1: spanish and violin or something mm. <laughs>
2: yeah and you know it's flexible on timings So most undergraduate students take around six years to complete the degree compared to three or four traditional universities but crucially there's no time limit as well so you know you can take longer it works around your life and that was how it was originally conceived it was aimed at providing opportunities for adults with jobs or other commitments who had missed out on education if you like it's it sometimes been referred to in the planning stages as the university of the air as i mentioned in the intro and that was a reference to the school of the air scheme in australia which since 1951 had offered a curriculum to children in the remote outback over the radio the idea that whether it was that you were looking after children or elderly relatives or whether it was again like the outback situation a Distance issue, you know, that it was impractical for you to turn up on campus and hear lectures multiple times a week, that this was a solution that would be flexible to People in all circumstances.
1: Yeah, the University of the Second Chance, Lee sometimes used to refer to it as as well.
0: Yeah. And also, it was really cheap to run. You know, you could deliver a lot of information to a lot of people rather than, you know, needing individual lecture halls to accommodate everyone. But also, it was really cheap to get in. So it was appealing to students in that sense as well. And I think, you know, part of the reason why student numbers have been plummeting more recently is because in 2012, through no fault of their own, but because of changes in educational policy tuition fees surged from like 1,000 pounds a year to 9,000 pounds and students just were like well I'm afraid I can't afford that you know around another job or around being uh, you know a stay-at-home carer or whatever else it was that they were doing this change in the pricing structure was one of the things that has sort of led it into a period of decline and in terms of fun
1: In case you were concerned (laughs) that, you know, by doing your entire course remotely, you get to miss out on some traditional student activities that go beyond uh, books, Uh, you'll be pleased to know that there was a residential summer school. So if you were doing a course, you got to go for one week and have face-to-face lectures, meet your colleagues, meet your tutors, and everyone's kind of like in their mid-twenties or older having this kind of one week of university-type activity crammed into seven days, (laughs) specifically for people who missed it and regretted it, Uh, you will not be surprised to hear, dear listener, that this included some debauchery. Yeah,
2: they're like, this is much more fun than getting wasted at home.
1: (laughs) Tomorrow. Elizabethans would have
0: easily been able to work out that the odds of winning were 1 in 16,000. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors.
2: Patreon.com slash retrospectors.